0: Welcome to the Rock of Ages Church Sermon Podcast. Coming up, we have a message from Pastor Leslie Chua. We hope this message helps you in your spiritual journey. Okay, today's sermon will be my last sermon on the subject matter of Mystery Babylon, and it is entitled Come Out of Babylon. Come Out of Her, My People. That's what you read in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. So, come out of Babylon. That's the title of today's uh, message. If Mystery Babylon is so dark, so wicked, and so sinister, we ought to come out of it. We ought to come out of it. So let's begin today's sermon by reading Revelation uh, chapter 18. We're going to read the first six verses. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a horn for every unclean spirit, a horn for every unclean bird, a horn for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of a sexual immorality. Now, this is a very important, uh, important statement that has been repeating itself as you read chapter 17 and chapter 18 of Revelation and elsewhere when Babylon is mentioned. Okay, let me read that again. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of a sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of a luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her place. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Okay, I want to read this verse 6 again. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her place. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she makes. Some 20 years ago, an American pastor came to Singapore back to back for several years. And he taught extensively on the subject of Mystery Babylon Financial System, Talk a lot about wealth. Talk about about money. He was a good teacher. He became very popular year after year, and his teaching resonated with many Christians. And it created quite a stir amongst people working in the financial and banking industry. He warned that God was going to judge the existing uh, uh, global financial uh, and, and 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 banking system because it was a corrupt system, because it was global financial Babylon. Therefore, Christians must come out of this Babylonian system uh, before things get worse and before uh, Christians are sucked up into it and get judged along with it. Now, apparently, some people were very convicted about what these preachers say and they quitted their job in the financial institutions and banks. Among them was a high, a really high-flying banker from an international bank. He's a local Singaporean. And what happened is that many Christians applauded these people for giving up their lucrative career and high-paying jobs. They were hailed for coming out of Babylon. These people were brother, these people were hailed for coming out of Babylon. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, I admire their conviction and their daring to stand on their conviction. But we have to seriously ask ourselves the question, is that the right decision? Is that the right understanding of what it means to come out of Babylon? The angels say, Come out of her, meaning to say come out of Babylon, my people. What does it mean? What is God saying when he says come out of her, my people? I know that this question is on the minds of many people, many believers in recent times. I am often asked the same questions, and oftentimes by the same people repeatedly. I understand the sense of urgency in these people. They look at the signs of the times and then they see many eschatological prophecies playing out before their eyes. And they also perceive the rise of totalitarianism in the vaccine mandates, uh, uh, vaccine passport system, ESG regimes, CBDCs or central bank digital currencies and so on. They understand that all these things Will eventually morph, eventually lead to the triple six international financial and banking system. And they are right. And the more you are awakened to all these eschatological realities, the more you are concerned and the more you become anxious. And there are quite a lot of people who became very fearful as a result. Uh, of, of understanding all these things. And a the question they often ask is, how do I get out of this dystopian ghetto? How do I get out of this digital prison of 24-7 surveillance and control? If essentially, how do I get out of this Babylonian system? How do I get out of this Babylonian system? So this will be the focus of my sermon today. We're going to look at three things. First, the reasons for the judgment on Mystery Babylon. Second, whether we should interpret coming out of Babylon literally. And finally, point number three will be what it means to come out of Babylon. This will be the flow of the sermon. And this is going to be one of those very dense sermons as in, uh, I am not going to just tell you what I think. I'm going to show you from the scripture. I'm going to put things together so that you will know that what I'm going to tell you is just—it's not just a matter of opinion, but rather it is a matter of what the word of God is saying. So, first, we're going to consider the reasons for judgment uh, on Babylon, the reason for the judgment on Mystery Babylon, and we look at verses six, verses four to six of. Revelation chapter 18 again. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her place. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix double portions for her in the cup, She makes so. There are two reasons the angel called for God's people to come out of Babylon. The first reason is so that they will not take part in her sins. So that they will not take part in her sins. God's people can become so entrenched and so entangled in the Babylonian system that they either compromise or become fully immersed into it. Or become fully like her, adopting the values and following her ways. Second, it is so that they do not share in her plates. Alright? So that they do not share in her plates. What does that mean? It simply means that they do not so that they will not share in God's divine judgment when he judged the uh, uh, mystery Babylon. Okay, understand that in the book of Revelation, the word. Plates and judgment are used interchangeably. For example, in chapter 16, uh, where we read about the the seven bulls judgment, the final series of judgment, uh, it is called the seven plates. It doesn't mean pestilence, it doesn't just mean pestilences, diseases, pandemics, and so on. It means judgment in the general sense. Okay? So, first reason is so that they will not take part in her sins. Second reason, so that they do not share in her judgement. Immediately afterwards, the angel declared that judgement would begin. Pay her back, as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Makes a double portion for her in the cup she makes. The angel's proclamation gives the sense of the severity of the judgement. The Lord Jesus will pay her back not commensurate with the sin. the Lord Jesus will pay her back double 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 is being repeated again and again. The Lord Jesus will pay her back double for her sins and iniquities she definitely deserves a double portion uh, for her, uh, of punishment for her extremely wicked deeds okay I'm emphasizing that her extremely wicked deeds. We get a good we get a good sense of commercial Babylons, we did this in my last sermon. I elaborated on that. Uh, I get into quite uh, the details of it. Uh, the rich oligarchs and elites use their vast wealth to hatch elaborate plans and weaponize the media, public health, politics, culture, technology, and commerce in their attempt to control people's and nations, their ultimate goal is to control the world and enslave humanity. I know it is quite a statement, but if you understand Okay, the shenanigans behind. If you've been reading history, you've been following the current affairs, you've been going back decades as to see what some of these mega transnational companies are doing, especially those in the pharmaceuticals and in the chemicals industry and so on. You understand what I'm saying here. Okay, I'm not just spiritualizing things. I'm not just sensationalizing things. A lot of things I say, this thing that I'm saying here is based on facts. Hard facts. And, you know, if you know just some of the details, how dirty, how evil and ruthless these people are, Okay, uh, you, will under, you will really understand what I mean. Not just the corporations, but the people behind them. They wear suits and ties and they appear respectable. They speak in big conferences. They go to posh meetings and so on. But they are rotten and evil on the inside. That in a nutshell is the overarching sins and iniquities of Mystery Babylon. And that's why she deserves a double portion of divine judgment. But there are other sins and iniquities described in the long chapter of Revelation 18. What are these sins and iniquities? First, the sin of pride the sin of pride. Babylon is proud. She's self-confident and she's self-assured and she's defiant in her wickedness. Revelation 18, verses 7 to 8. And she, referring to mystery Babylon, glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a light measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her place will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burnt up with fire. For mighty is the Lord who has judged her. Babylon is mighty. Mystery Babylon is mighty. And in the context of chapter 18 in Revelation, it is mostly about commercial or economic Babylon. And commercial or economic Babylon is mighty, but God is mightier. Okay? Uh, Mystery Babylon will not be able to resist. God will judge her. God will destroy her. And as you read through the entire chapter, you realize that the judgment will be swift. It will come suddenly. you will be so devastating that you will collapse within what is described in the in, in chapter as in a single day or in a single hour. Meaning to say it is going to be fast and furious. I've said since, since the beginning of the Revelation series that the book of Revelation contains many allusions, not illusions, huh? allusions to the Old Testament scripture. Can you remember what is an illusion? Okay, I've said that a couple of times. Okay, what is an illusion? An illusion an allusion is a reference to an Old Testament passage or verse without stating it. Explicitly. In a sense, it is an indirect reference. It is not a direct quotation, but for those who know the Old Testament scripture well, the reference is clear. There are a total of 404 verses in the book of Revelation, out of which 278 of them are allusions to the Old Testament scripture. Therefore, without understanding allusion, you cannot understand the book of Revelation. Let me say that without understanding allusions, you can never understand the book of Revelation. That's because you don't have the context. It is important to have the proper context without which you will misinterpret the prophecies. That's the mistake that many people make. Okay, and I like to say this, it's my favorite example. Okay, when we are talking about pre trip, mid trip, post trip, many people think that the church, many people argue that the church is still in uh, during the seven years. Okay, and they point to Revelation chapter 12, the woman representing the church. And that is a total misunderstanding and misinterpretation because that woman is an illusion. It's described there. And therefore, it's an allusion to the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and that woman is Israel. That woman cannot be the church of Jesus Christ. So, Revelation chapter 18 is full of allusion to Isaiah chapter 47 and Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51. Revelation Chapter 18 verses 7 to 8, which we have just read, is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 47 uh, verses 7 to 11. You say, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, okay, it's referring the whole of chapter 47 is Is an indictment against uh, uh, Babylon, alright? Now, therefore, hear this. You lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Uh, When is the last time you read this statement Uh, in the book of Psalms and in many places? And who does it refer to? The Lord Himself. But this is what Mystery Babylon is saying. I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall, not, I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantment. You felt secure in your wickedness. You say, no one sees me. No one sees all the dark things that I'm doing. No one can see the shenanigans that I'm doing with the kings, with the merchants and so on. So you say, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Which you will not know how to perform sorcery. That's the meaning, alright? How to charm away. Disaster shall come upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. You see the similarity of the Revelation and the Isaiah passages. These certain different words are used. Certain words are the same. But you notice a similarity between these two passages. God will indict. God will judge. And God will destroy mystery Babylon. Why? Because of her pride. Because of her pride. She looks at herself and her achievement. She looks at her, at her success and the wealth. And and despite her wickedness, she sits high and mighty, untroubled at all. Not beset by any troubles. And that's why she says, I sit as a queen in Revelation. And I shall uh, uh, be mistress forever in Isaiah. And then she says, I am no widow. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? In the light of all that we have gone through, she's confident that she will never run out of partners in her sexual immorality. Okay, And I mean that figuratively, a metaphor of a corrupt dealings and illicit activities. Mystery Babylon is proud. Success and wealth have gone to a head. And so she, in, in, in hubris, she brags to the kings and the nations. She brags to the merchants and she has the cheek to brag defiantly to God. God's response is that she will receive divine judgment and it will come swiftly and suddenly. She will be utterly and completely devastated. In 539 BC, the Middle Persians attacked the Roman Empire, captured Babylon. That was the end of the glorious ancient Babylonian Empire. But the spirit of Babylon lives on. It moved to different cities and different nations throughout history. But the day is coming when God will judge her and she will be completely destroyed. Both Literally speaking, the city and metaphorically speaking, the entire corrupt system. As I mentioned in previous sermons, my previous sermons, I believe that the USA is the present political and commercial Babylon. And as for, uh, the corrupt system, I am referring to the global financial, banking, and trade system. What are the sins and iniquities of mystery Babylon? First, the sin of pride. Second, the sin of sorcery. (laughs) Second, the sin of sorcery. Revelation 18 verses 21 to 23. That's towards the end of chapter 18. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence. And will be found no more, for your merchants, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. The original Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. All right, pharmakia is the root word for the English words pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. In the light of the recent COVID-19 crisis and many national governments pushing their citizens uh, to, to take the experiment, experiment, experimental mRNA vaccines, many Christians around the world are looking at this verse and wondering if God is referring to the mRNA vaccines. Okay, Many Christians are doing that. Then you have the preceding sentence about Babylon's merchants. Being the great ones of the earth. So people are putting the two and two together and saying that these great ones are the big farmers. Okay, referring to the big, the, the giant pharmaceutical companies. The great ones in original Greek, in the original Greek, is the word Magistan. Okay, Magistan, which is frequently translated as great man, noble, prince, uh or officer. So of course, the merchants who are called the great ones here refer to the wealthy and powerful owners, shareholders and CEOs of big transnational corporations. So there is a case to be made here. Many so called awakened people or awakened Christians are convinced. You want to know my opinion? I don't think so. You say, Pastor, you say all that and then you say, I don't think so. Because I know that's the view of a number of people. I say that and I'm saying, I don't think so. Okay? I don't think so. Uh, uh, not that I'm not sure. I don't think so. Pharmakia means magic, magic potion, witchcraft, sorcery, charm. Okay? Take note of the word charm. It also means charm. All these terms have to do with the occult. Pharmacia is often translated as witchcraft and sorcery in the Bible because of the context of the passage. Okay, when you get into Greek and Hebrew words and all that, you've got to be very careful. There are preachers and teachers that will tell you, in Greek it means this and that. And then explain to you something that is totally not according to the context. Okay, A Very dangerous. Okay, Therefore, translator always translate a certain Greek word or especially a certain Hebrew word in its context so that it makes sense. So the question is this, what is the context here? What is the context in these two verses here? Let's look at verse 23 again. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and the nations were deceived by your pharmacia. In the context of the verse I don't think pharmacare here refers to anything occultic, rather it is commercial Babylon's ability to charm and to seduce the merchants with the wine of the passion of a sexual immorality. That means all the corrupt dealings in order to gain wealth, in order to gain power, in order to gain control. Let me repeat that again. Rather, it refers to commercial Babylon's ability to charm and to seduce the merchants. Alright? So the reason for judgment here has to do with commercial Babylon's corrupt dealings rather than the occult practices of religious Babylon. And it also has nothing to do specifically, okay, I'm using the word specific. It has nothing to do specifically with the mRNA vaccines. Now, I'm not saying anything about the mRNA vaccines here. I'm just saying that this verse is not talking specifically about the mRNA vaccines. Now, you and I got to be very careful about how we uh, interpret the scripture, how we look at the word of God, uh, and, 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 you know, don't be like those people that, you know, twist and turn and, and, get, interpret everything according to what you desire. That's very dangerous. We need to let the word of God speak to us. Let the word of God be the word of God. Let the word of God interpret the word of God. And like I say in Revelation, there are allusions and all the kind of thing. Uh, and then of course we're gonna look at their context. We going to let the word of God speak to us. We need to interpret the word of God with integrity of heart. That is basic Christian stewardship. I think that is very, very important. So, enough of that. So, what are the sins? What are the sins and iniquities of Mystery Babylon? First, the pride, the sin of pride. Second, the sin of sorcery. Third, the sin of killing many people the sin of killing many people. Revelation chapter 18, verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Mystery Babylon is not judged simply for killing God's prophets, apostles, and saints, but also for killing many people, many, many people in the world. The sin of religious Babylon is in view here. The sin of religious Babylon is in view here. Throughout histories, there are many religiously inspired wars that have killed thousands and thousands of people, adding up together millions of people. Even the apostate church in in the Middle Ages was guilty of the blood of many saints and ordinary people. Who did not who did not follow their dictates? Okay, even the apostate church was involved in killing. Okay, in the killing of many people. So the sin of religious Babylon is in view here. The sin of commercial Babylon is also in view here. Most people are ignorant of the fact that in the pursuit of commercial interests. Profit, wealth, and power. Some decisions made by big transnational corporations have resulted in the destruction of many lives. That is a fact. That is a reality. Okay, read all the... I mean, not just now, like, over the years, over the decades and all that. That's exactly what has been happening. And is always reported, even in mainstream newspapers. The big pharmaceutical companies are especially guilty of these sins. While many drugs are helpful in the treatment of diseases, many drugs are also defective and suspect. Many drugs are also defective and suspect. That's why there are many lawsuits filed against those giant pharmaceutical companies and the damages they need to pay out based on the court rulings are usually huge, enormous. They run into the billions, billions of dollars, not millions, huh? hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. You just need to Google for yourself. You get a wealth of information on the internet with regard to that. Now, I'm going to say something here that is going to blow your mind. Okay, I'm going to say something here that's going to blow your mind. Most medical research findings are false. Ladies and gentlemen, most medical research findings are false. Leslie Chua didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. This is a quote taken from a research paper by John uh, Yonidis. Okay, he's a professor of Stanford University and it was that paper was published in PLOS Medicine. It's a magazine which is considered foundational in the field of meta-science. He's a very well known professor and this paper this particular paper is the most downloaded research paper in the history of medicine it is the most downloaded paper in the history of medicine but this kind of fact this kind of truth never gets into the mainstream media i mean it's there but they don't they may just report it and then after that everybody forget about it They don't keep repeating it. The big pharmaceutical company have the interest not to allow news like that to affect their profits and their business. But this is a fact. This is a reality. He's a very famous guy. Okay, He's a big guy in the medical research industry. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you and I get to heaven, I think we'll be surprised at the large number of people who were killed by commercial Babylon in their pursuit of commercial interest, wealth, and power. So we have just looked at the three reasons why mystery Babylon or more specifically commercial Babylon will be judged. Next, we want to consider how we should interpret the phrase coming out of Babylon. When God say come out of her, my people. How do we look at that statement? How do we understand that statement? I mean, it's big. It's big especially for us living at such a time as this. We need to properly understand this in the light of the scripture. So that means to say that if you are an American, and like me, you believe that the United States of America is political and commercial Babylon, then you better get out of the, of the, of the United States physically, alright? And if you are a Singaporean just like most of us here are, and you think that commercial Babylon, Singapore is commercial Babylon, then you better get out of Singapore quick. And if you think that every country in the world carries the spirit of Mystery Babylon, then you should contact Elon Musk and migrate to Mars, He has great plans about that. Okay. And let me tell you. All right. Let me tell you. I think when we talk about mystery Babylon, there are some, we, we need to frame it in two ways. One is it's specific. There are certain regions, certain countries that are really imbued with this spirit that Satan used for his end time purposes. There's also the spirit of Babylon that's infected. Most of the countries, I think every country, and especially if you are a financial center, a banking center, a trade center, you ain't going to run away from, from it. All the shenanigans and everything there, okay? Part and parcel of the Babylonian system. So, what do you think? That's my question. What do you think? Before I tell you what I think, okay? I want to know what you think, okay? Don't be shy. How many of you think that we should interpret it literally? Okay. Few hands, not many. How many of you think that is metaphorical is figurative? Okay? A bit more hands. A bit more hands, more hands. Some are still putting up your hands, some are doing this. <laughs> so what about the rest of you? I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I better play safe like a typical Singaporean. I just keep quiet and listen. Since you've got a it, pastor, you talk. Okay? So I'm going to give you my opinion. Or uh, My opinion based on how I understand the scripture. Okay? My opinion based on how I understand the scripture. So this is what I think the scripture is saying. Personally, I don't think we should interpret coming out of Babylon literally. That means getting out of that city or getting out of that country or getting out of that financial system, literally. I don't think we should interpret it literally. I believe that it should be taken metaphorically or figuratively. I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason, and, and these three reasons are in a sense interconnected. So that's why I say you got to really listen. It's a bit heavy. They are connected and one flows into another and then you see the light. By the end of the third reason, okay you see the light along the way, but you'll see the light just like an oncoming train boom, and you realize that it makes sense, all right? <coughs> the first reason is we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus said that himself let 's read John chapter seventeen verses fourteen to nineteen i 've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, this is an overarching principle that we Christians should live, by which we Christians should live. Okay, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. It sounds somewhat paradoxical, but it is not. Now there is no dispute in the fact that we are in the world. Okay, we are we now, and it's not referring to we are in the earth. Okay, the world is a system, alright, of fallen humanity. Okay, we are in the world, we are in this world, okay, of fallen humanity. We ourselves are fallen, but thankfully we are saved by grace, right? However, Jesus reminds us that while we are in the world, we are not of the world. In and off. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus had redeem us. He has already redeemed us and therefore we, must, we mustn't we uh, must live according to the values and the principles of the world. We must be like Jesus who is not of this world. Now I want to take note of two other things that Jesus said here. Okay, First of all, bear in mind that Jesus is talking to the Father. God the Son is talking to God the Father, right? Let's look at verse 15 again. I do not ask that you, my Father, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus didn't pray that the Father take us out of the world. He didn't pray that the Father take us out of the world. Uh, He only prayed that while they are in the world, Father, please protect them from the wiles of the devil. So if God doesn't want us to be in the world, uh, the moment we are safe, all right. the moment we are safe, you have taken us out. Okay, uh, I I don't know. Uh, that might be a good idea. <laughs> Looking at the state of the world right now. But that's not God's idea. Okay, We are placed in the world, though we are not of the world. Then we look at verse 18. As you send me into the world, so I also have sent them into the world. God sent Jesus into the world of fallen humanity. And after we are saved, with Him, okay, we are sent into, also sent into the world. Clearly, Jesus doesn't want His people to get out of the world and live in seclusion. Instead, He sends us into the world just as the Father sent Him into the world. The world where the sinners are, where fallen humanity are, is our mission field. And that's where we ought to be. We are supposed to reach out and bear witness to the lost world. Okay, we are supposed to do that. Preach and bear witness to the lost world. The point of me saying all this is that God never intends for His people to run away from the world. Rather, He wants us to be in the world, to witness to the world. Babylon is the world. The world is Babylon. Babylon is the world. The world is running on the Babylonian system. So coming out of Babylon is unlikely to mean getting out of it literally. Unlikely to mean getting out of it literally. For the second reason, not to interpret coming out of Babylon literally. We want to look at Prophet Jeremiah's prophetic messages to the Jews. It was Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah that prophesied asking the Jews to leave Babylon, to flee Babylon. John's prophecy in Revelation 18 come out of her, my people, lest you take part in the sins, lest you share in a place is an allusion. is an allusion to jeremiah 's prophecies in two places in jeremiah fifty one five and also in jeremiah fifty one forty uh, six rather and in jeremiah uh, uh, fifty one forty five okay so let 's read jeremiah fifty one verse. flee from the midst of Babylon, let everyone save his life be not cut off in a punishment. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment He's rendering her. And then Jeremiah 51:45, go out of the midst of her, referring to Babylon, my people, let everyone save his life from the fierce anger and judgment of the Lord. And fascinatingly, it was also Jeremiah that prophesied that God would send the southern kingdom of Judah, into exile in Babylon. Why? Because of their sin. Alright? He also urged King Zedekiah to surrender to the Babylonians. And everybody in, 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 in Judah at that time, from the king to the court official to the ordinary people, called Jeremiah a traitor. I mean, you know Jeremiah is a weeping prophet, right? Why does he weep? Is it because he's a crybaby? No. No. Because every prophecy that God has given to him, people didn't like it. And it didn't sound right at that time. He won. He said, God is going to send you into exile. He's going to allow his temple to be destroyed. He's going to allow Jerusalem, the the city of the holy God to be destroyed. And you're going to go into exile for 70 years. There's no way God is... I mean, there's no way you can fight yourself out of the situation. People didn't like him. And he was considered... Treasoners at that time. And Jeremiah also told the Jews that it was God's will that they go into the exile. And it was also Jeremiah who told the Jews to settle down in Babylon and pray and seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7, we read here, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it, its welfare, you will find your welfare. So the word welfare here in the original Hebrew is the word shalom, which has in the Bible often been translated into peace. It also means welfare. It also means prosperity. It also means peace. So you can read the verses as verse 7, as, but seek the shalom. Seek the peace, seek the prosperity, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to God on its behalf. For in it, your shalom, your prosperity, your peace, and your welfare, you will find. So the Lord wanted the Jews to live normally. And, listen carefully, and, to thrive in Babylon, to live normally and to thrive in Babylon. Why is Jeremiah's prophetic messages so confusing, so contradictory? On the one hand, he asks God's people to flee Babylon, lest you get 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 judge get get pulled along, get sucked suck into. On the other hand, he asks them to stay to settle down and to seek the shalom, to seek the peace, to seek the prosperity, to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. So my dear brothers and sisters, which is the correct word? Which is the correct word? The answer is both. I believe that God was telling the Jews to Jeremiah, you are in Babylon, but you are not of Babylon. You are in Babylon, but you are not of Babylon. Live and thrive in Babylon, but don't follow the ways of Babylon. Stay faithful to me and reject the Babylonian values. That is how you reconcile all these words, all the different prophetic messages. And they did. They did. You know, the Jews thrive and prosper in Babylon. And one of the fascinating things that a lot of people don't realize as we read the Old Testament, okay, after they have come out of the promised land, very, very soon they go into idolatry again. Am I right to say that? Again and again and again and again and God will send prophets and prophets and more prophets to talk to them and they will not listen. They keep sinning. They keep worshipping other gods and idolatry. But when they are sent into Exiled in Babylon. Do you know that in Babylon, they no longer worship either? And from then onward, history tells us that the Jews never got involved in idolatry ever again as a people. So all said and done, the point of coming out of Babylon does not mean coming out of it literally. Rather it means to separate from the spirit and the ways of Babylon. The Jews were supposed to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. You and I are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And for the third reason I'm building up, for the third reason not to interpret coming out of Babylon literally, we look at Daniel's response to Jeremiah's prophecy. So second point, we look at Jeremiah's prophecy. Now we want to look at the prophet Daniel's response to the prophet Jeremiah's prophecy. Now Daniel and Jeremiah are contemporaries. That means they live about the same time, but Daniel was the younger of the two. Daniel was aware of Jeremiah's prophecies. Daniel was aware of Jeremiah's prophecies. For example, he knew from a record of Jeremiah's prophecy that the Jews will be exiled in in Babylon for 70 years. He knew about that. Daniel 9 verse 2. In the first year of his reign, and this is referring to King Darius, the Middle Persian uh, king's reign. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel didn't say, I'm a prophet. God speak to me directly. I don't listen to other prophetic voices. Daniel looked up and Daniel checked and Daniel knew Jeremiah's prophecies. So Daniel responded, how? In prayer and fasting. You see, Daniel was a godly man. He took the Word of God very seriously. So when he learned that, hey, the 70 years, he count, 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 70 years seems to be up. And according to Jeremiah's prophecy, then it, it, it seems like it's time, all right, for us to get out of the exile. So he began to fast and he began to pray. And the result of that, you and I know, okay, he got a 70-week vision, uh, vision, uh, prophetic vision that's so significant to our understanding of the end time. So there's a, A small digression. The point is, Daniel is responsive to the word of God. He always obeyed God, no matter how challenging it was. I give one example: the incident where the where King Darius said, "Okay, all my subjects, all my court officials, nobody is allowed to pray to any of your own gods, except when you want to make petition, make petition to me, the king. For thirty days, you are not allowed to do that." But what did Daniel do? He didn't obey because he take the word of God seriously. He need to pray. And so he prayed. And as a result of that, Daniel got into trouble. Daniel got into trouble as a result of that. Now, we can be pretty certain that Daniel also knew about Jeremiah's two prophecies regarding fleeing Babylon or coming out of Babylon. We just read the two verses, right? Jeremiah 51 verse 6 and verse 45. However, Daniel did not leave Babylon. If he had understood the two prophecies to mean getting out of Babylon, Daniel would certainly do that even at the risk of his own life because this man obeys God like no other people. But Daniel didn't leave Babylon. What did he do? He served King Nebuchadnezzar and his pagan Babylonian court faithfully, faithfully. And he served into his old age. And he continued to stay in Babylon many, many years later, even when the city was under attack, even when the city was under siege by the Middle Persians. How do I know that? Say, Pastor, I, I, you know, some of you may go back and check and text me after that and I don't see in, 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 in that. Okay. You need to get to know the background on the night. Okay. I know that because on the night when King Belshazzar, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, who had died by then, uh, uh, was, you know, taking all the, the temple of God's utensils and all that, gold cups and all that to drink and to celebrate and have all sorts of orgies and all that. And there were writings on the wall. And in fear, Belshazzar got Daniel to interpret those writings on the wall. That was the night. Before the night was over, the Middle Persians breached the palace and came to, to... Abi basically captured Babylon. Where was Daniel. Daniel was right there. Daniel was right there with the king. So he was in Babylon. And Daniel didn't leave Babylon even after the Middle Persians had captured the city. How do I know that? Again, you infer from the word of God because King Darius, the Middle Persian king, the new king that took over Babylon, appointed Daniel to one of the three topmost positions in his entire empire. And so Daniel served in two empires. Daniel didn't leave Babylon. Daniel thrived in Babylon. He didn't leave Babylon, although he saw, he read Jeremiah's prophecy and he understood. And he lived through the collapse of the Babylonian empire. And God allow him to thrive in Babylon under two different empires. A few kings and two different empires. So consider carefully the three reasons that I've given you. It is clear to me that we cannot interpret coming out of Babylon literally as in leaving the city or the country physically, whichever country that might be. If that is the case... Then, the question is, what does it mean to come out of Babylon? What does it mean to come out of Babylon? I'm going to give you three thoughts, okay? I offer you three thoughts (coughs) concerning this question. Number one, uh, okay. Okay, what does it mean to come out of Babylon? First, separate yourself from the spirit of Babylon. Be holy. Separate yourself from the spirit of Babylon be holy. Again, we look at the prophet Daniel. He's a great example because he was in Babylon, but not of Babylon. He separated himself unto God. He endeavoured to be holy in all of his ways. From day one, when he was exiled to Babylon, he was determined to stay pure and holy he refused to eat the food that was given to him from the king's table. So the issue of eating eating food offered to idols is a matter of great debate and discussion and contention among many contemporary Christians. Although I think that is a very straightforward matter, but in this time, when persecution in this area is really less, when I was just when I was young, many in my generations were persecuted because we refused to eat food offered to idols by our parents, alright? But in this generation, you hardly got this problem. Yet, this is a massive, there's a massive contention and debate about this matter. Just that you know, it is not a matter of conscience, but it is a matter of who you are fellowshipping with. Are you fellowshipping with God or are you fellowshipping with the demons? Do you participate? in the table of the Lord or do we participate in the table of the demons okay this is the conclusion not my conclusion this is the conclusion of the apostle paul and you read it in first corinthians chapter 9 to chapter 11 three lengthy chapters that is the conclusion of the apostle paul by the way this whole issue about food offered to either is not a matter of clean and unclean food It's not an issue of ceremonial laws. Okay. It's a different category by itself. But to Daniel, to Daniel, it is a matter of both that he could only eat kosher food and uh, he should not eat food sacrificed to idols. Daniel would not compromise because it was a matter of holiness. Daniel could not compromise because it was a matter of Holdiness. He could have easily find an excuse. What can I do? This is the king's food. This is the king's order. Alright, everybody, every official eat food coming out from, his, from the king's table. How can I reject that? He can easily get his head chopped off if he refuse to comply. Despite the risk, Daniel was determined to do the right thing before God. Although it doesn't seem like a really great matter to most Christians today. I've heard from many Christians, younger ones. I don't know why Daniel made a farce of it. Not a big issue. But to Daniel, it's a matter of holiness. It's a matter of being to stay separate. So what did Daniel do? He appealed to the unit in charge. And God honoured his determination to stay separate and holy. Permission was granted. He can take vegetables, he can take he can take uh the non-meat stuff. Okay, this is not a pitch for the vegans, huh? Uh not, not not that just in case you think, oh yeah, you know. So add to that, God gave Daniel and his three friends tremendous blessings, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and they were ten times better than the best of the wise men in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel was also blessed with the ability to interpret and understand dreams and vision, just like Joseph. Just like Joseph, important, especially for us in the last days, to understand what God is saying. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? First, separate yourself from the spirit of Babylon. Be holy. Second, Do not follow the ways of Babylon. Trust God. Do not follow the ways of Babylon. Trust God. The ways of Babylon in the scripture is repeatedly described uh, as the wine of the passion of a sexual immorality. It means engaging in corrupt dealings for power, wealth, favour, position, so on and so forth. Like politics everywhere, the Babylonian courts, court was full of politics, backstabbing, lies, deception, machiavellian style manipulations. Daniel and his three friends were con- constantly subjected to sabotage and conspiratorial plots. But they were determined not to follow the ways of Babylon. Daniel and his friends were determined not to follow the ways of Babylon. They maintained their integrity. They kept to the righteous way of God and trusted Him for deliverance. Their story is a story of God's faithfulness in the midst of intrigue and politics. They could have died a thousand deaths, but they live. And most importantly, they thrive in Babylon. By the grace and mercy of God, Daniel and his three friends were promoted to the highest level. Daniel was made the ruler over the province of Babylon, which is a capital city. And then he was the chief prefect. He was a prefect, not like in school. This one is really big, high up there. The prefect over all the wise men. And get this, alright? This is really fascinating. He was the chief of all... The astrologers, the magicians, the diviners, the diviners, and then all the occultic practitioners. He was the chief. Okay. You go and figure out how, how did Daniel do that? All right. How did Daniel do that? Okay. Uh, you go and figure out. Okay. I just give you one statement of understanding. The Lord gave him a greater anointing and understanding and wisdom than the rest of them. Okay? And but they are all the nitty-gritty stuff. Go and think about it. How he managed that. Talk about getting out of Babylon literally. Okay, Daniel was the their chief, (laughs) their head prefect. Okay. How what does it mean to come out of Babylon? First, separate yourself from the spirit of Babylon, be holy. Second, do not follow the ways of Babylon. Trust God. Third. And finally, serve faithfully in Babylon, bear witness to God. Serve faithfully in Babylon, bear witness to God. Daniel didn't just serve God faithfully. He also served the pagan kings and their pagan courts faithfully. He undertook his duties and responsibilities with conscientiousness. Otherwise, Daniel wouldn't have lasted so long and across two empires, okay? Fascinating, fascinating. Daniel didn't say, oh, this is a corrupt political system. I better come out of it. Rather, he dared to thrive in Babylon. As God spoke to Jeremiah, Daniel sought the shalom of Babylon. Daniel sought the prosperity of Babylon. Daniel sought the peace of Babylon. I mean, can you think how... Treasoners is that you seek the peace of the country they attack your country. You seek the prosperity of the city they attack your city. And Daniel did just that. And that as we know is the word of God too. Jeremiah. Daniel's godly lifestyle and impeccable integrity shone through the dark corridors of the Babylonian court and the corrupt political system. And in doing so he bore Witness to God. Daniel also dared to speak honestly. Okay, it's something that a lot of contemporary Christians lack. Daniel dared to speak honestly. God's witnesses must always speak the truth. Of course, in as diplomatic way as possible, but without blunting the edge of the truth. I think that is very, very important. Daniel didn't, uh, I, I, Let me just give you an example. When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he came to Daniel and asked Daniel for the interpretation. Daniel didn't shy away from telling the king the truth. Essentially, the truth is bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar. He would become mad. God will strike him mad. I mean, imagine Daniel saying, my God will strike you mad for seven years. And after seven years, when you go through all your hardship, my God will then restore you. By then, you'll be humble. That's essentially Daniel's message. But Daniel spoke the truth. Daniel didn't withhold God's truth from Nebuchadnezzar. So of course, Daniel was wise and diplomatic when he talked to Nebuchadnezzar. And it happened just as Daniel had said. After the seven-year ordeal, King Nebuchadnezzar, was humbled. He acknowledged that God, he acknowledged God as the King of heaven and that the Most High God was sovereign over all the nations of the earth. One of the most wicked and tyrannical kings of ancient history was saved. Why? Because one man decided to remain in Babylon and serve faithfully without compromise. The prophet Daniel is an amazing testimony of what it means to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. That is how you come out of Babylon while in Babylon. Let me say that again. So beautiful, right? I write those words. I cannot imagine that. (laughs) Self-praise. Better be careful. Preaching about Babylon and self-praise. No. (laughs) (laughs) So the prophet Daniel is an amazing testimony of what it means to be in Babylon, but not of Babylon. That is how you come out of Babylon while in Babylon. Let me say this as we come to the close of today's sermon. Live like Daniel, dare to thrive in Babylon. Because he was determined to live a holy life. Because he was, because he did not follow the ways of Babylon. Because he was willing to serve faithfully in Babylon to bear witness for God. God enabled Daniel to live victoriously and to thrive in the dark belly of Babylon. In the midst of mystery Babylon and in the midst of mystery Babylon in the, the fullness Okay, in the fullness of its manifestations, politically, religiously, and economically, Babylon boasted the most powerful magicians, enchanters, diviners, and astrologers in the ancient world. The best of them was found in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. But no sweat. God gave Daniel the most, a most powerful uh, anointing of divine understanding and wisdom that far surpass the capabilities of all these wise men together. Satan threw his full repertoire of schemes to sabotage and try to kill Daniel and his three friends. But God intervened and rescued them at every turn. Not only that, every single attack that was directed at Daniel and his three friends was turned around into a stepping stone for promotion, for more grace, for more power, for more favour, for greater position, for more honour, for more blessing. My dear friends, what God did for Daniel and his friends, God can also do for you. What God did for Daniel and his friends, God can also do for you. If you would if you will come out of Babylon while living and serving in Babylon. Just like Daniel, God could do it for you. Do not fear what lies ahead as we race towards a dystopian future. As we race towards the end of this present age, the darker the times, the brighter will be the light that God will shine in us and through us and upon us in a way that when people are around us, they sense the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let's get ready for the supernatural, to move in the supernatural. Let's get ready to see more divine intervention in our life. Get ready to experience more miracles. Get ready to receive a greater anointing from God. Get ready for an outpouring of His spirit, grace and power. And get ready for the Daniel's anointing that we will need to navigate the dark and dystopian landscape that has already dawned upon us, that will get worse and worse with each passing day. Let's live victoriously in Babylon and thrive in Babylon until the day comes when things are really impossible. You know what is going to happen? God will engineer the greatest escape of all time. God will rapture His church. Amen? Amen. Shall we all stand? Come, let's all stand to worship Thank you for listening to our message today. To find out more about Rock of Ages Church or to access other resources, please visit www.rockofages.org.sg